leading us into worship through the reading and teaching of God's word this morning. If you would, join me in 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. We are closing out 1 John today, which is very exciting. You all seem very excited. Thank you. 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 and onward. As you guys turn there, I'll be launching our time with 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. This is a passage I shared with fellow elders, Pastor Brian and Pastor Kyle, this week um, in preparation for the sermon. I came across this and found not just an overlap, but one of the beautiful instances where Scripture will read itself and we're left to sit or stand in amazement at it. So as you guys are turning to 1 John chapter 5, here, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. I texted the elders this. The thing that stood out to me was good good hope. Reason being, and, and if you've been to FAM recently or just talk to me at all. It's, it's an ongoing theme here lately that I, I do indeed know God as Father. I know his intention toward his children. I know it is for our good and his glory. I have great trust in that, and, and it leads to great contentment. But a, a moment of confession is if I'm not careful at times, that same knowledge is met with a lack of belief. And and that leads to quite the friction in that I know God is Father. I know Christ has called me a son of God. I have great confidence on the final day when I reach eternity. There's great confidence for everyone here You'll hear, well done. But on this side of eternity, today, and the, the lulls of weeks, days, months, years, this life, is that I don't believe practically at times that, that eternal life is being outworked now. That what I'm promised then, I can worship through now, today. It'll lead to functional disbelief. And so it just struck a chord with me to read our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope. That as we read and close 1 John this morning, we are going to see a theme of knowing, believing, and living. And I feel so often we can focus on Rightfully so, a proper response to God, a proper response to his word, to what it teaches us. But I'll go ahead and tell you all this morning, the biggest thing, the biggest thing I want us to take away from our time together this morning and from the close of 1 John here is the reality that we live in as daughters and sons of God. And we will get to, as you know, 
always a practical application of our text. We will get to what it means for our lives, how it should shape our minds. But first and foremost, I need us to start with understanding and have our hearts be captivated by the idea, and much more than that, the reality that God calls us sons and daughters. And more than that, as Pastor Brian mentioned last week, there is a threefold Trinity testimony of your salvation. And that God sent his son to claim you, and Christ did exactly that and sent the Spirit to help you to the end. And that when we reach our Father face to face, there will be a threefold choir of well done. And church family, that's the reality we live in. I have great hope that we know this and that we know it, but I need us to start our time by believing it, by working through the friction and humbling ourselves this morning to be being able to do so that comes between knowing and believing at times from just having a hope that all things will work out for God's glory, from just having a hope that we are being sanctified to having a good hope that in all these things we can worship. Amen? Amen. That is our aim this morning as we work through the close of 1 John chapter 5. So pray with me to that end. And during this time, I ask that you would humble yourself before the Lord and under the teaching of his word that whatever it is you have maybe been carrying with you in the same way that's kept hope from being good hope and that has kept contentment from being comfort that you would confess it unto the Lord now and that it would usher us into a beautiful time of being shaped by his word. Pray that for yourself, for your brothers and sisters in this room and for the church at large this morning as there are brothers and sisters gathered all around the world right now. So join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the wonderful opportunity to even come before you in prayer to be heard by you as we'll read this morning I ask you to comfort your children's hearts this morning to encourage them with the strength of your word the strength of our savior we ask according to your will that you would increase our knowledge of you and not just the knowledge, lest we be left to pharisaical living or improper piety, pride that kills. But that knowledge would lead to humility and humility of belief. That you are who you say you are, you are our Father. That as we gather even now, it is not just another time in the week, it is not just another Sunday but it is sustenance for our souls that you have so richly provided through the fellowship that we get to partake in here, through the worship that we get to lift to you through song, through the word that is trustworthy and infallible that we read now of the communion we will take with you in remembrance of our Savior, of our going out and worship. It has all been ordained by you, not just that we would live through it week to week, that we would truly worship. 
I pray that would be the case this morning for all of us. And I ask that you would remove whatever it is now in each of our individual hearts and the heart of the Branch Church Milledgeville that would be keeping us from worshiping you fully. Be patient in doing so and gracious. We ask this according to your will. Amen. A main thread we'll see this morning as we read our text is to believe God is to know him and to know him is to live for him. As we live for him, it's important to understand exactly who we are and living for God. And we'll see this in the close of our text this morning. But uh, a teaser now is, is to live as a child of God. And as a child would live, and how we get to see uh, the children of the branch running around living, it is to have a childlike trust of God's promises and a childlike pursuit of him as our father. So join me in verses 13 through 15 here as we begin the close of 1 John chapter 5. The author continues, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Immediately here, we see great cause for comfort in our hearts that parallels what we started with in 2 Thessalonians, this confidence that we draw from understanding on the other side of everything we go through in this life is eternal life. Is eternal life. I was so convicted this week as the start of work kicks off for me next week that I'm already looking forward to Saturday. That on the other side of this week, on the other side of being back to work, I'm already looking forward to the first break I have to the weekend. And it just it humbled me to see that I don't even think that way about eternal fellowship with my father in this life. Not pops, but God. That all this suffering that we face on this side of eternity, of sickness and death, of even just the mundane things that will cripple us if we don't pay attention to them, like disbelief, like depression, anxieties, like mistrust of God's word, like not believing that the Lord's Supper is critical for our well-being. Through those things, very often I, I turn to the truth of God and see that I know there's a purpose in it. I know that it will work out for the good of the church. As we look even internationally at persecution, as we look to Canada as churches are being barred from gathering, I, I know these things. But when we introduce believing, it can lead to a full understanding of not just seeing them, understanding them, but worshiping in them. Of knowing good and well that on the other side of everything in this life is eternal fellowship with God our Father. Consider that. Think about in your own context, in your own jobs or your own lives, how many things we look forward to through the lulls of this life. I know many of you, it's also a job. As school's about to kick off, it's maybe a semester. And then think about the even greater scale of life outside of ourselves, outside of our selfish scopes, 
and see that there is so much at work and it is all for the children of God leading to fellowship with our Father. Now, practical implication right away for us is the understanding of this, is that it does not make the suffering any shorter nor any easier. That there's pain in this life. It goes hand in hand with what we see in prayer here, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And many of us have maybe been faced with this instance of where we have asked God, like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, to maybe let the cup pass, and he has not. That does not mean that God's not hearing our prayers, quite the opposite. It means that he is hearing them and answering them, but it is not with a worldly comfort. It is with an eternal conformity into the image of Christ. Now, everything in this life, everything is leading to exactly that. An immediate hope that brings for us as a church, as individuals, as sons and daughters of the most high king is the understanding that all of this life is something that we can worship through. Now, the difference in between just knowing that, just knowing it, and believing that and the outworking of our salvation in all of our lives is whether or, we, whether or not we trust God, whether or not we look to him as Father. And this is the friction in between knowing and believing, especially for us here. And, and it's a blessing uh, that there's not much, um, well, there's plenty we still do not know. But in terms of the context of salvation, of what it means to be a Christian, um, this is not so much a, a brag on me, but my fellow elders to you all, is that God has blessed us richly and. Uh, men devoted to the word of God that expositely teach it. And so each Sunday there's plenty that you will come away knowing. But the friction between knowing and believing is sometimes the widest chasm we could ever feel. Some of, some of the ways that we feel this is maybe our personal devotion, the word of God feels ineffectual. And that we're reading a psalm of comfort and we don't feel comforted. And that we are reading about the promises of God and we know that they're true but feel minimal effect of them in our lives today. And that we read even the history of our lineage. And this one got me this week. Of how many times God delivered Israel. Of how many times God saved his people from themselves. Which is why I was so happy to go through Judges when we did it then and, and so happy that we get to reference it now and to see how many times Israel sold themselves away into slavery time and time again. And how many times God was faithful to discipline his children, to prune his body then. And see the history of seas being parted, of people being delivered, of curses being cast on uh, false rulers and emperors, of deliverance of God's people. And still struggle today to think that I can be delivered through my work week. It should humble us greatly if you're in the same boat as me or if not and there's greater things at play. It should still humble us to know that we have been a part of this root of Jacob that has been being preserved then to now to forevermore. And that Jesus himself attests to this. 
when we look outside of ourselves and we look at the God who has caused us to know and has given us grounds to believe, that chasm gets shorter immediately. But that is the key there, to look outside of ourselves, to see the God who has saved us. That's why verses 13 through 15 give us great confidence and understanding the point of prayer in the Christian life is not to get what we want, but to receive what we need, to fellowship with God, to make our requests known to God, and the beautiful news of the gospel and God's character to us is, is that when we pray things according to his will, they are just as good as done. They are just as good as done. So that when we pray for God to honor faithful works in this city, it is done. We need only get up, go, and work, and he will honor them. Now, that does not mean the branch will blow up to 500. It may mean that it's pruned to what it is now forever. But it does mean that God has honored his word, his promises, and is preserving his children. When we pray for the salvation of lost family members, that does not mean it is a lost cause if they do not come to know the Lord. When we pray for a spouse one day, college students, when we pray for that job, it does not mean it's not in vain if we don't get what we think we need. It means that God is answering us and giving us exactly what we need for the care of our souls, not just our bank accounts, our false sense of security or worldly comfort. So it's so vital that as we read this, as it's a text that has been contorted and twisted and stolen from its original meaning so much that we understand we need to go to God in prayer and that as we do, we need to do it rightly and ask him for his will supremely. Then our prayer is truly effectual. It does not mean we stop making our requests known, but it does mean that we make them known under the umbrella that they be made, executed in God's will. After all, you have to consider and walk back in your own life and think about the seasons where you wanted what you think you needed and compare and contrast it with when you wanted God's will. What was truly worshipful? What was truly living? What was just coasting? What was just existing? What was worshiping? What was just knowing and what was truly believing in that knowledge? He leads us into verses 16 through 19 here when we see the effect of this confidence with which we approach the Lord and also the care for one another's souls. Verse 16 through 19, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. This, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is a difficult text to understand and, and many parties believe that this is speaking to four different people. Uh, Four different situations here when we consider uh, the one who sees his brother and the brother himself. We see many people who hold the opinion that that is somebody within the church who sees uh, a brother in the world as fellow creation. 
we see that there are many who uh, believe that it is those who are in God and see a fellow brother who is professing, committing sin upon sin upon sin and praying for that brother's soul. And that is the thought that I landed on this week and I believe that is true of scripture. And the contrast that we see uh, between the acknowledgement of the other as brother and as the verses continue on, we see that doesn't just stop as brother but says that is one that John says here uh, he would not consider praying for. Uh, and we'll unpack that here in a little bit. But the text raises a difficult understanding to see that there are sins that lead to death and there are others that in our context lead to life. Immediately, I want to address the context and seeing that all sin led to Christ's death. Are we on the same page there? Everything we do, little white lie to the biggest sin we can imagine, the cardinal ones of the Southern Baptist South, every single one of those sins led to Christ being hung on the cross. They all led to our Savior's death. Now we have to be consistent in thinking through what that means for his children is that our Savior's death means life for his children. And, and here we see the importance and the beauty of confession and repentance. We are still prone to dabble in sin. We are washed in Christ's blood, but still carry a mortal mark of sin in this flesh. And that as we carry on these days, we still go back to the filth in which we were pulled from. Now, that does not mean we are marked by death in that sin, but instead see that we are truly marked by Christ's blood. So then, sin that does not lead to death for the believer leads to confession and repentance. Our confession and repentance further leads us back to our Father. I believe this is what the author is saying here when he contrasts sin that leads to death and sin that does not lead to death. Others who study this text uh, also believe that it's a cut and dry uh, reading that there are sins that literally lead to death and those that don't. Now, those are plenty in our context, and I think that is just as true of the text, but furthermore, what I believe the author is referring to here is the unforgivable sin. That unforgivable sin being blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. There's something Pastor Brian touched on last week, that those who have been made aware of the offer of God, of eternal life, of faith, of salvation, and yet spend their life denying it, call God a liar. So that God can't truly satisfy, that his promises won't be fulfilled, that he is not good enough, that Christ wasn't perfect, that the word is just a book, so on and so on. Ultimately, what they are doing is spitting on the offer of salvation from the creator of the universe. They are calling God a liar. They are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Those who are apart from God, who spend their lives hardening their hearts against God, come to this end, that their sin leads to death. Not just temporal here, but eternal. I believe this is the contrast that the author is making here. And, and it also leads us to our responsibility for one another. It also leads us to a sobering reminder that none of us are above being a brother or sister that once was. And it is so weighty to be up here to see you all and understand even for myself, my fellow elders, none of us are above 
straying from God to the point that we blaspheme his Holy Spirit. Now, what does that do for our lives? Does that put us into a cocoon of second-guessing, of doubting our salvation, of working harder? No. The prerequisite for salvation is believing that Christ came, he was who he says he was, and that he died for us. And I want to remind us of the beauty and what should fill our hearts again into proper believing is that that work is done outside of us. It was not done in response to us. It is not preserved now because of how good or bad children we are being. It is preserved, it was executed, and it will be finished and finalized based on our Savior Christ. And all of our missteps, all of our faithful works from filthy rags to highest praise will lead to the beauty of the fullness of church in Christ. Again, on the other side of this life is eternity. And that is the eternity that we have to look forward to. But our care for one another must be brought into play here as we see in our opening verses that whatever we ask in God's will, will be done. How much more then should we pray for one another's salvation? How much more should we pray then for one another's sanctification? Well, we got to take a step back. How much more then should we be involved in one one another's lives to the point that we can? And I've said it before, and I'll keep saying it until the Lord calls us somewhere else or ends what's going on here, or Christ returns. It is not just enough to show up in the same four walls with one another. That is not biblical community. Biblical community is knowing one another to the point that we can properly apply these verses in prayer for one another. That we can go on unto our Father on one another's behalf and make our requests known and then go back to one another and tell them that it is just as good as done. That means being involved in, in what we have to offer that would allow this in DNAs and MCs, but I would like to just call it Christian fellowship. Of letting one another know what you're struggling with. And if it's disbelief that that sister or brother will go and pray for you or pray for you then, and then you can both rejoice and that that prayer is just as good as answered. That comfort is offered. The difference then is whether or not you just know it or you believe it. That you could, in your personal devotion, make it a point not to just store up for yourself what you learn, but to offer it to one another unrequested, to, to text one another throughout the week and say, I just read this, this is what I took away, I'm praying it for you. And the one who receives it to rejoice in understanding that is just as good as answered. You have to consider this church family, how much more so would we walk this life in worship and confidence and true belief on top of knowledge that we are secure in our salvation and we are saved in Christ? If we heard it throughout the week and we understood through the lens of God's word here that what we pray in God's will, and let's take example of our text of Thessalonians, what was being offered up on behalf of the church in Thessalonica, it's eternal comfort good hope, peace, things that far supersede a busy work week and burdens on this side of eternity. How much more so could we go about worshiping and truly loving our God? 
of truly pursuing him as our father, if we looked at all the answered prayers that are answered before we even pray them, and see that they aren't just answered through uh, a spiritual telecom, they aren't just given to us through a service bell, but they are seen in the person of Christ, that they are affirmed in the spirit that carries us back to our Father, and that we are held fast as holy children by a holy God. Simply put, the application of this text, we need, we need to be involved in others' lives and on top of that, praying for one another. A couple different responsibilities that take place in that is the uh, initiation of that relationship, of the asking out, of the opening up, and that when we ask one another what we can be praying for, it's not just work. It is not just comfort, but it is peace and work as I uh, witness to my coworkers, that it is comfort in my disbelief that I just don't think God is hearing my prayers. Do you see what I mean? That we actually give one another the chance to do our jobs and loving one another well. After all, we need to remember, that is how the world will know us and our love for one another. And so why not give one another the chance to do that well, and not just well, but faithfully, worshipfully, worshipfully. And that the world wouldn't just know us, but believe. Like we need not just know God, but believe he is our father and the world would see the church, at least starting here in Milledgeville, and believe that there is something different about that people group. That they are a hodgepodge of young adults, college students, and minimal families, yet they operate like a family. There's something different about them. Verses 20 through 21 make very clear what is different about us as sons and daughters, as the church. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, Keep yourselves from idols. Scripture, scripture is so beautiful in its simplicity sometimes. It has quite the stark way of humbling us. Now perhaps when you hear that, little children, you might be in the same boat as me that I can feel in my flesh wants to react in such a way that says, what do you mean, little child, God? I've been striving after you. Here in Milledgeville, I have a son myself. I have been learning all these years. I've been pining after you. What do you mean, little child? Or maybe you're here this morning and you take great comfort hearing little child. Or maybe you feel guilt and being called out for what you feel as somebody who is... uh, might feel that you're immature in the faith. I knew God knew I was a little child. I want to say this in reference to our text here. We should absolutely seek to grow in this life in every way. We should seek to supplement our faith with virtue. And that comes with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, love. We should absolutely seek to do those things. We should seek to graduate from spiritual milk to meat of the gospel. We should set our minds on the things above. 
When God calls us little children, is not to limit what we should strive after in his character and his glory. It's to simply remind us of who we are. And it's little children. My encouragement to us, as I encourage myself, is that we should absolutely seek to grow, that we would seek to be brothers and sisters who are faithful. But we should never seek to be anything more than little children. Salvation is not a scholastic endeavor, nor is it something that we should seek to graduate from, that we go from children to graduates and from graduates to groomsmen on the day of Christ. We're all included in the bride. We'll all be standing as witnesses, not helpers in the eternal day of reckoning. Are we the hands and feet now? Absolutely. Nevertheless, we are children. You can turn there if you are a quick flipper, uh, but John 17. John 17, verses 16, or verses 6, rather, through 12. This is something that we'll get to eventually, but it was too beautiful not to borrow this morning. As we've been reading this morning uh, about knowing and, and believing in this confidence that we can have in Christ, I figured it would be fitting that we hear the words of Christ himself. So hear your Savior's words. John 17, verses 6 through 12. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and I have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, But they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. I think it would do our hearts a great understanding of seeing Christ himself, of what we wonder so much is, is this really all worth it? That we have the salvation, but we're hit with things that make us question, is this really worth it? Does God really have me? Am I really secure in Christ? Highlight, bookmark, print out what we just read, the high priestly prayer. And all the instances of Jesus himself affirming you already before God and saying that all you have given me are mine. What's mine is yours. And it goes beautifully hand in hand with the close of 1 John. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. And his Son, Jesus Christ, 
He is the true God in eternal life. We see here then the truth of verses 18 and 19 validated that the evil one, Satan, the one son of destruction, cannot touch us. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. What about Job? What about our suffering? What about all this that we go through? We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But praise God, we have been pulled out from the world yet left behind to pull others along with us. Praise God that we have been saved. Yes, from ourselves, yes, from sin, but from this world that our hope isn't just wrapped up in here what we can see, but is an eternity that awaits us that that is unshakable and, and that we can see throughout all of history of mankind from everyone of the Roman Empire, from the greatest rulers this world has ever seen has been doing the weakest imitation of idolatry and trying to build what we will see in the kingdom of heaven. Of trying to set up their own castles and their own fortresses and their own glory only to have it pushed away by the light of Christ, a baby in a manger, a savior, a king, who has set his children apart. As I said at the beginning, it is my hope that this text would allow us to see we have good hope. We have good hope. And that we would live that, we would understand it with eyes wide open and see that this Christian life is a hard life. Yet our yoke is easy. The field has been tilled by Christ and we need only go and cast seeds. We care for them, we water them with the truth of the gospel. We ensure that they see the light of Christ, but even then Christ is the one who grows them. So yes, this life is difficult. We truly are not home here. We're not home here. But here's the beauty of this, and I pray that this sits rightly on top of all that prayerfully the Lord has been teaching you, is that Christ is coming to bring home to us. Christ is bringing home to us in the new heaven and new earth. What this means for us is that we don't live our lives as escape artists who are waiting to just be pulled out from here. We already have been. We already have been set apart. We've already been rescued from this world. And now we go and take it over with the gospel. We, we know that there is a returning king who is coming and we go and tell others about it. Not so that we can get the word in before we get out of here, but that they can be ready when the sky breaks open one day. As Pastor Brian said last week, that when their knee hits the ground, it is in worshipful submission, not out of doom and defeat. 
But church family, brothers and sisters, the same must be true for us today that our knees must hit the ground in worshipful submission. And that does not come by knowledge alone, nor does it come by belief alone. We must see and understand that if we know God, we are to believe God, and if we are to believe in God, we live unto him as his children. That is what we are. Do not seek to grow up out of his arms. Do plenty of growing up here. Establish yourself in your community. If you have a job, work it well. Whether it's back a house at Chick-fil-A or front of line somewhere else, work it to the glory of the Lord and see that it is a blessing. Whether it's teaching what feels like sometimes a brick wall. Whether it is caring for others, see that you do it all for the glory of the Lord. But first and foremost, before we get to chase after, one of my favorite quotes from the late J.I. Packer of seeing that our theology flows from our fingertips. Ensure that your hearts are in the right position and resting as children in the hands of your Savior. Make sure that you are not building your life on what you know with hollowed out belief. At the same time, make sure your belief is not blind. See that you are saved secure in Christ and set apart and live this life believing that God is who he says he is. That the gospel is indeed enough and that eternity is waiting for us and that its eternal weight far surpasses anything, anything that would ever hang on our necks or shoulders or wrap us up around our feet. Know that God is in control And let your contentment not just be contentment, but comfort. And live, brothers and sisters, like you have a good hope. Live like you have a good hope. From your countenance, to your work ethic, to your conversation, to your recreation. Live like you have a good hope. Consider this, how often is it? that we struggle to live like we have a good hope. Do not get stuck thinking about yourself or staring in a mirror. Instead, look to Christ who lived full well like he had children that needed saving all the way to the end. And then take confidence, take heart, and go. I'll leave you with this. Any thought a Christian has that does not end with hope in Christ is an unfinished thought. So whatever you may have this week, whatever you may be carrying with you, carry that and run it through that gauntlet and see that whatever comes to pass your mind is for your sanctification. And that sanctification leads you not to work harder, better, to earn more, but to humble yourself as a little child of God and to have good hope. Amen. Amen. Father, be with us as we continue to worship you this morning through song, as we seek to carry out with us what we prayerfully learned, yet not just in hollow knowledge, but in true belief with our entire being. I echo the hope in 2 Thessalonians that we would have good hope, eternal comfort, and furthermore, 
what we saw in the close of 1 John chapter 5 this morning, that we would understand ourselves to be little children who have been saved and set apart from this world and hidden in your shadow. I pray that is effectual for us, and I pray against uh, uh, anything that would seek to have us get up and go and work before we ensure that our hearts are submitted to you, that they worship you and look for your glory. Continue to shape us. I pray that you never allow us to lose our sense of need and dependency on you as our Holy Father. May we lift every prayer and supplication to you. May it be done in your will that we could see it is answered in the person of Christ. We ask even this in your will. In Christ's name, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.